0: Whereas the happiness that my ancestors created in this territory was um, it's hard to describe in English, obviously, but it's this, yeah. like, if I was to describe it, it would be like, it literally looks like the way that dew comes up in a mist in the way that shine, the sunshine shines through it and creates this gold warmth. Like that's the, the happiness that my ancestors created here. And I want everyone to experience that. But in order for everyone to experience that, I need people to start dismantling some stuff, (laughs) because... Right. Like, it's, it's, this system was literally created to ensure that what I'm hoping for doesn't happen. A lot of people don't realize or recognize that they themselves are actively colonizing our territory, especially architects, planners, and landscape architects, and developing. Like, that's literally what you're doing. If, like, you're not working with the host nations, you are colonizing my territory.
1: Hello and welcome to Design Unmuted, a podcast that centers marginalized voices in design, art, and all things creative. I am your host, Divine, a landscape designer and social critic. On this episode, today my guest is Sierra Tassie Baker, and I am very happy to be talking with her today. She's a friend of mine and she holds many identities. So I will uh, let her introduce herself. Uh, My name is Sierra
0: Tassie Baker. My Kwakwala name is which means creator or creative one. Or I recently found out uh, Lucy means uh, one who creates wealth, which I thought was really beautiful. Um, I am from the Squatmish Nation. I'm also Kwakiwak. I'm Musqueam, Muscomag Zawodenok, Plinket. Haida and also part Magyar Hungarian on my mother's side, and uh, all the nations I'm from on my dad's indigenous side. Uh, My father is Wade Baker. He's a well known public artist and uh, traditional carver, oral historian. And my mother is Mary Tassi, who's an old school urban planner in her own words. (laughs) (laughs) Really cool, innovative work with uh, me now. Um, I have a family practice, Sky Spirit Studio and Consulting. So I work with my mom and my dad and we work to decolonize design practices. And essentially, I guess the, the nice way to say it is indigenize urban spaces, but actually we're just taking back our city, yes. <laughs> our territory, um, one project at a time. And it's a lot of really great work. And Uh, a lot of education around uh, our peoples, and a lot of what we do is reclaiming agency for our own indigenous peoples and our own territories through design. Um, As Devine said, I have many identities. I'm also queer, I identify as bi-queer, and uh, I'm part of many incredible communities here in in what is currently known as Vancouver. And yeah, just really excited to talk about The work that I do, I have my master's in sustainable urbanism from University College London Bartlett School of Planning in London, England, and my undergrad in environmental design from the University of British Columbia Columbia in Musqueam territory. And I'm also a choreographer and a dancer. I dance for uh, MMIW Butterflies and Spirit group uh, that raises awareness for murdered and missing indigenous women Girls and LGBTQT, um, IA, missing and Indigenous peoples. Uh, and I also, uh, especially with Divine, have been doing a lot more Black and Indigenous solidarity work and uh, also in design fields. So, in brief, that's kind of what I get up to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess to start off, um, I just want to ask you what is happiness to you? <laughs> That's such a, like intense question. I know. It's so deep, but also so simple.
0: Especially to like an architect slash like artist. Yeah. <laughs> Where like happiness often isn't like the motivating like thing. But um, it's it's funny because today we're having this interview. Like I feel like I'm actually really happy today. And it's taken mm-hmm. like almost like it feels like years of, of time just to like get over like how intense schooling was and just mental health mm-hmm. stuff and And then also being like uh, after like the death of George Floyd um, and seeing like there's so much uh, energy and education from uh, different black educators on Black Lives Matter, um, I've just been doing and like sitting back and doing a lot of like listening and learning and seeing like who I am amidst all this. And as well as like our communities often experience um, extreme adversity like as indigenous people and we're constantly dealing with like ongoing genocide. So like I've been really honored and inspired to see like the black joy movement and just seeing a lot of academia, um, thought, social thought, influence uh, from black creators on in Afrofuturism as well as um, different fields just talking about like how important it is to celebrate joy. And I think after reading a lot of different content and like listening to a lot of different creators on like why it's so important to center joy and celebration, I like really, that really clicked for me. And I was like, okay, I wonder, what does that look like in my own communities and our indigenous communities? And something that we as indigenous people have is this incredible sense of humor. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I don't know if any of you are on Instagram much, but like the meme, the indigenous meme, (laughs) lords. reign supreme <laughs> and uh and yeah just like realizing that in the face of all this uh, adversity in the face of colonization and the face of white supremacy um there's we still manage to find time to laugh and find community and find uh, solace in each other and what I've started learning is that happiness for me at least comes in these community spaces that we create ourselves. Um, It's really hard for me to walk around Vancouver um, and just see a city that like my people never agreed to and see a future my people never agreed to. It was really forced on us so like I often find myself in a lot of distress but then I go to community events like put on by like Black and Indigenous queer people and I find myself like exorbitantly happy. So then I started realizing like so much of my happiness um, is where my identity is celebrated and where other Mm -hmm. people identities are celebrated and then I realized like the role of an architect in that is creating space for those spaces and creating space for people's identity really right Um, that and people's identity um being aware of like that proximity to whiteness that proximity to white supremacy and like how can we create spaces that are solely like celebrating indigenous identity black identity queer identity and how that benefits people that aren't those identities either. And right. interesting. So that's like, all like very heavy of like, what is happiness to me? And like, for me, like happiness has had to be really like consciously created. Um, Cause right. essentially like the world around me that was consciously created without me isn't for me. It doesn't celebrate me. I don't see myself reflected in my own territory. Um, so like, for example, I was one of the guest curators for Vancouver Mural Fest this year. Uh, Sorry, last year. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And um, I made like a really strong stance and and Ben Mural Fest really supported me in only um, curating Coast Salish artists this year. So having Coast Salish uh, art forms throughout the city Mm -hmm. and it honestly improved my mood so much. And like, it's just such an interesting space to be in when like now I can walk down like quite a few different streets. And even though it's not necessarily decolonized, at least like there's these murals right. to reflect myself and my people and like my friends and my community and my family. And that makes mm-hmm. me happy. So I'm like, Oh, like great. Like I created, right. being and I created space. Like I can actually just exist and be happy. And, um, so it's interesting because I feel like happiness for me is always in tandem with doing work. And right. that's, that's what it is when you're, um, indigenous is like we have to do work to to create space for ourselves and but then it it's really amazing being able to to have those spaces and be like oh wow I can breathe I can exist and then then my joy comes just naturally like overflowing and I just frolic around being right (laughs) indigenous in my own territory and uh being Sculptmish and Musqueam in my own territory um Mm -hmm. so yeah it's a really complicated answer for sure. No,
1: it definitely is. And I mean, I I, I actually like to uh, acknowledge how you say that like happiness for you also comes from being in community spaces. And um, that's a very different worldview from this kind of like mainstream white way of happiness where it's very centered about around the individual. I also want to touch on the, the point of like um, the city not being made um to reflect who you are and your values and therefore like that conscious effort to create spaces so you can feel happy in the city and i think it's only appropriate that like i will bring in uh one thing that i find is absolutely horrible about landscape architecture it's the language that we use around um having Green open spaces as almost this neutral thing that is meant to be a source of joy for everyone, and I want to ask you, um, what's what's your take on that? <laughs> I think i like weirdly nerdy about
0: this. <laughs> like, <laughs> like critiquing green open spaces is like my jam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like. I, we've had these conversations um, just like ourselves and just kind of opening that up to the public. um, A lot of the work that I've done is uh, researching uh, the history of colonization through design and how colonial interest has shaped and has been celebrated by like modern architecture. And so like one of like those major modern architects that I associate with like happy, frolicky, green open space is Corbusier obviously. Yeah. Like his original intention with the high rise was to like create all this like fantastic plate, like land to play in. Um, but then that just got turned into like no land to, to frolic in and just high rise buildings. But that was like, Mm -hmm. his intention was like, okay, if everyone lives in this like hyper density, then there'll be more nature for us to like enjoy, which did not happen like whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, That vision didn't work out. And I find it really interesting when we do experience like large open space, because that also came from like uh, King Louis, I believe the 14th and uh, his like military programs, like a lot of French and like European military programs, as well as like Roman military programs required large open spaces for military gathering. So having these like huge open spaces is not only connotative of uh, like modern, architecture thinking which actually stems from like very racist origins which Mm -hmm. I have an entire workshop on (laughs) that you're all welcome to come join at some point Um, yeah yeah that's like a full-on like three-hour lecture just like on that alone um and then uh so like the how like modern architecture has like very specific roots in uh Darwinism and racism uh classism sexism so on and so forth and we see like these, even like if you take it to like blank walls or like blank open spaces, like it's seen as neutral, but modern architecture is not neutral. Like, point blank. And um, so like when we see like it's, it's military roots and we see um, its roots in racist ideologies. Uh, I really want to get into like this three hour lecture <laughs> to explain this.
1: <laughs> or not. We won't go there yet. But um, I mean, you I could, I don't see why not. Okay, ready. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like,
0: uh, and I also talk a lot about in my in my lectures and my talks and my workshops about these like three fears. And one of those fears uh, that really stunts con- like, true authentic conversations uh, around decolonization, around land back, around uh, reclamation um, is a fear of the wild and often like modern landscape, which has quite a bit of roots in... Um, French landscape and European landscape, uh, which is all about like the dominion over nature, as opposed to like indigenous ways of thinking is relating to and kinship with nature. And that dominion over nature often comes from like the perfect lawn, the perfect garden, like very manicured, very landscaped. Um, And what's interesting is like this history of celebrating like that wide open green lawn. um, It's like to a certain demographic, i.e., Uh, Like European um, context is great. Like that is considered healthy public life. That is considered um, a healthy public dynamic. Whereas we've uh, been seeing through a lot of different engagement, uh, Black and Indigenous people are very uncomfortable in wide open spaces. And like there's a very long rooted historical reason for this. And a lot of people don't really understand that this isn't just like by accident. A lot of spaces were designed like this in order to have. To specifically ensure that Black and Indigenous people are uncomfortable in wide open spaces. So, like a design technology that I've been employing is this concept of tewilch. So, tewilch is actually a Skoltmish uh, snitchum word. So, Skoltmish snitchum meaning Skoltmish language. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm from the Skoltmish nation. So, it's one of our uh, words that means protected. So, like creating like tewilch protected spaces. Um, and actually, having a way more nuanced understanding of relating. And then again, if you think about um, how like modern architecture and like modern landscape has kind of boiled and distilled down into this like, so great American lawn. <laughs> <interior>. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And like, that's not even factoring in like the environmental factors on like trying to maintain a perfectly manicured lawn, like the status quo of like perfectly manicured wide open spaces, how mm-hmm. uh, that actually is really like, uh, works against a lot of natural order. um So, like another technology that's being employed in uh different spaces is like the natural lawn movement, and I just it amuses me so much. Like right. as an indigenous person, you're like, <laughs> great, this new movement, but it's like it's Not just you. it's a common <laughs> sense to yeah. a lot of our indigenous ways of knowing and being. And and then like I um, know I just covered like a ton of random points to something that I'm very passionate about, obviously. And to kind of talk about that, like, um, especially like these like wide open spaces come from police states They come from like a policing mentality where you're able to see everyone and everything and nobody has private space to do whatever it is they, they want to get up to you. And that comes from this idea of like, not trusting like your citizen, not trusting your, the people around you. And when you come from like a community care space, having like small intimate spaces uh for example if you come to design from like a trauma-informed lens Mm -hmm. it's really important if you're freaking out you're not comfortable in a crowd and you just need to like have a moment to yourself but you're in this huge public space like where are you supposed to go to calm down in Mm -hmm. a safe way so like it's really interesting that having like this lens of like policing versus like this lens of like trauma-informed practice community care kinship um, having those like protected spaces makes a lot of sense for then to like a community um, that's being highly policed like having like wide open nowhere to hide. totally. Uh, it, it's really I don't know I get I get really
1: I that. I totally uh, understand and feel that very deeply because as a black person that is definitely also something that um, you know being kind of looked at and almost serving as a spectacle when you're in like a public space is something that isn't a very comfortable feeling. And so the space that is supposed to be a space where people go to relax and enjoy fresh air becomes something that is not always that for a certain demographic. And um, I remember watching your event on MST Futurism and because you were the moderator, you were asking the question to the participants on um, what MST Futurism meant for them, what the vision, their vision of the city was. But I don't think you actually got around to answering that question yourself. So I was, I'm really interested in, in you kind of like dreaming about this. I mean, um, I've kind of like really embraced ideas of Afrofuturism um, just because I think it's a great uh, tool for liberation and that in itself inherently implies a joyful process. So I want to know like, does MST Futurism mean, look, feel to you?
0: <laughs> Thank you. You're the first person who's managed to ask me since the event, I've just been like in hiding because I've just been like <laughs> replenishing my energy. Um, right. I guess to start, like a lot of why I hosted the event is because mm-hmm. I think like, there's very few of us that are really like really pushing um, futurism. And uh, as Crystal Parabou, the Afrofuturism historian we were working with on MSU Futurism said, like whenever talking about futurism to always honor its Afrofuturism roots. So before i start speaking about it obviously like i really um am grateful and and choose to uphold and uplift the black communities that have created and uh, had the ingenuity around afrofuturism because a lot of those mechanisms as you said is a tool for liberation um we like we both face uh this colonial monster and being able to uh work with each other and have solidarity with each other is really powerful and uh, that's something I really want for MST Futurism is uh, to always include um, not only honor Afrofuturism, but also like honor that we have a lot of like black and indigenous people in our own nations and that their identities need to be at the forefront as well. Cause I feel um, that without like all these voices, like I think futurism without its roots is just going to turn into like something else that doesn't mm-hmm. help anyone one again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just I put that out there. But um, I've obviously spent my entire life imagining how much I want the city to be different. Um, mm-hmm. And like the main reason I went into architecture and landscape architecture and design is uh, actually around this question of happiness. Like I've, I've had a really difficult time mental health-wise walking mm-hmm. and existing in the city Meanwhile, like my family has lived here for over 809 generations right? and for like my family to have lived here for so long. And if I wanna wear regalia and walk around in this territory, just like my ancestors did only, I mean, we still do obviously wear regalia today, but like to Mm -hmm. wear it without without anyone batting an eye um, is only since 1850. So it's I think like 267 years ago. Mm -hmm. So 1850, we've been experiencing annexation and like full-blown colonization. Um, so for me to just like walk around in my regalia and like exuding who I am is so uncomfortable and can actually be like really unsafe. And also just to see like the disrespect, like the concrete and glass disrespect in my territory is really hard right. on me. And like it, like it was so hard on me to the point where like, I need to do something about this. Like So that's created my entire career tra- trajectory that I'm now right. really to doing today. And, um, for me, like the future of this city, like uh, for those lucky enough to have um, been on the MSD Futurism event. And for those that are not, you're welcome to go to the Instagram page to see what some highlights of what some of the panelists were saying is like, my vision is what the elders are saying. My vision is what a lot of those youth were saying around. Um, well, one, like the reason why my vision is in alignment with what they said is because I want to root everything in our ancestral laws and protocols. Right. And our ancestral laws and protocols, um, you speak to everyone, you listen to everyone, um, you work together, you um, find these like beautiful commonalities. And if you find differences, you simply like speak through them and you uh, honor those differences. And um, like a lot of the elders were saying, like putting traditional practices back into the land, um, putting our natural law, uh, ancestral indigenous laws um, as the basis for building, as the basis for for design, as the basis for governance, um, as a basis for the community life and having longhouses again, having uh, cultural spiritually centered spaces again, Um, like having our biodiversity come back, like seeing the biodiversity loss from 1850 to today, which is like only 200, or some odd years is so heartbreaking. Totally. Um, and my elders used to talk about like the the rivers used to be so full of salmon you could walk across them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like like that Jesus guy. <laughs> <laughs> Walking on water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like that's something I want to see again. And I I, for me, it's like when you're from such an ancient people, two hundred and sixty odd years is not long. So, like, for me, it's like, if okay, so it's only taken 260 years for, obviously, like, we're just counting this from my territory, like, colonization has been happening for, since the 1400s, essentially. Mm-hmm. And before then, there was a whole bunch of other stuff that happened historically, but, like, in terms of us getting affected, like, Black and Indigenous people, like, 1400s onwards... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Europe, you should have sorted your shit out so long <laughs> like damn <laughs> yeah, and then and then obviously, like Europe experienced its own expulsion of its own ancestral um lineages from mm-hmm. like a thousand a d onwards is what I would argue, but anyways that's a, that's another lecture um but essentially, like two hundred and sixty something years is so short to me, and to be from a people that's been here for like over 16,000, 50,000, 80,000 years in this one place. Like I I was born in the village site that my ancestors have been born in since time immemorial. And that's so powerful. And like, I recognize how valuable that is to grow up in my own territory, knowing who I am and being, Mm -hmm. like my grandparents went to residential school. So my parents did a lot of work to heal from those things so that I didn't have to carry... As much of the trauma
2: mm-hmm.
0: and as much as the shame so like I'm the first generation in my little unit of my little family my branch of my family mm-hmm. really proud to be who I am to like have a lot of access to our knowledge our cultural practices and still obviously like it's really difficult it's still difficult to have access to our entire way of life but like I, I have I have those footpaths still like yeah. I still have those strands that I can if I work on them, I can I can find my way back and bring that into my daily life and I, ideally back to the city. So like for me, it's like such a, the vision is so all encompassing. And to mm-hmm. me, centering our ancestral laws, our ancestral protocols, um, our entire way of life and being able to create not only at first spaces for um, our ways to exist, but eventually like, I would love it if one day, um, let's just say uh maybe one of your cousins from Burundi, Africa, decided to fly over and um they land here and the first thing they hear is skulkmersnitchum or Henkamena." I guess they just right. hear because they'd be landing at YBR.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: um obviously YBR has done a great job of representation, but like if the whole city looked like that, and not only that, but like suddenly um there's way more biodiversity, like. I love to get to a point where <laughs> development um, decides like there's like reasons why development shouldn't be developing and like right. be like hey we should actually take this building down because it would really really help the salmon respawn or it would really really right. help which I think is is directly disrupting capitalism. So to get to that point, I'd be like, this is amazing. But right. working up to that, it's like having medicine gardens throughout the city, having a forageable like you can walk anywhere and forage your meal for the day. Um, you can hear being spoken and being spoken as like the main languages.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, people speak, uh, it's called a trade language, Chinook again. Like Chinook was a trade language across Turtle Island, across oh, Canada. I see. Uh, wouldn't it be great if people spoke Chinook to each other? Um, if we brought back our ability to canoe and like our ability to travel by canoe in the city, um, bringing back our longhouses, bringing back our weavings bringing back like all these things that used to like underpin our daily life and these are all things that and even like the terminology bringing back isn't quite correct like it's more like this these are the laws of the land like the land because we've lived here for so long the land has taught us the best way it wants to be interacted with Mm -hmm. so it's a way of like honoring the land's agency and the land's um uh, consent as well like in the land yeah. my my family and my ancestors have interacted with each other for so long that we've developed this like very unique way of interacting with each other and I think when um, in 1792
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: and 93 when the first European explorers came over here Maybe that was the 267 years. 1815 is 167. Anyways, semantics. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Someone can fact check me. But uh, say in 1792, when the first European explorers came over here and you have people like Menzies trying to figure out what was here before and like documenting this like almost prehistoric people. And it's like, no, we're literally right in front of you. We're like the same. Right. Like, this is so weird. Like, why are you like documenting us as we're like speaking to you? Um, and they came in and they're like, oh, this is like a wild, like this is wilderness, which is so untrue. Like the reason why this territory Um, is so beautiful is so habitable is so like gorgeous and lovely Mm -hmm. Um, it's because we we created that over thousands of years like they're the stones are soft because of the many hands my ancestors ran over them right like mountains are smooth because of like our our many like I don't know. just this whole territory is very like soft and beautiful and rolling and Mm -hmm. and like um, we used to uh, garden clam, clam gardens, like all throughout the shoreline. And the reason why the shoreline is easy to to dock on and easy to pull and beach your canoes on is because we made it that way. Like we, but like the way that we sculpted our territory is so subtle that European explorers just like couldn't understand it. And right. like, the reason why like our forest floors are beautiful and soft, there's a reason why um, our rivers are like beautiful and accessible. There's a reason why, like, you know, like and there's a reason why things were, are not accessible. There's a reason why we left things difficult to get to. Like there's a reason. There's a reason for everything. Like when you've lived in one place right. for long, um, and I'd love to be able to honor all of the oral stories of this place, honor all the place names of this place, and get to a place where, like in my daily life, I can uh, do our daily cleansing practices, our cedar right. baths, like to pray like we always used to. Like if I can live my life in Mm -hmm. the philosophy of my people Mm -hmm. and not have to come into colonial barrier after colonial barrier after colonial barrier. That's like the future I want for myself and my children um, and my nieces and nephews and all all the other people. And like, how incredible would that be to be able to come to this territory and not just see another Western city and actually be able to come and visit this incredible place of like such rich identity. Um, And that's another thing is like, we're a host people. Like this area has always been a huge trading port. Like we have oral history legends of trading with China before European explorers came through. We have oral histories of um we crash landed in Japan once and that's (laughs) like like, true story and uh, (laughs) um we have like all these legends of um like trade trail like trading trails all the way from here down to like Mayan and Incan territory so like past Mexico and um and then across like we often were trading with the western crees and Plains, uh, Nehiao uh, nations, and uh, all the way up to Inuit territory. So, like, we were so much more mobile and, like, so much more. Um, we were constantly greeting people, like, all the time, right. constantly interacting with cultures that are completely different from ours and creating and developing these trading relations. And I remember. An elder was joking with me once and kind of like stereotyping each like West Coast nation.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to say the others because I don't want to start shit. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> start some shit. <laughs> <laughs> the elder was joking like, oh, the 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 Salish, like the Squamish, Musqueam, tsleil Tooth are like the politicians of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like the, we're like the, oh, there's a word for it. You know, like people that do like poli sci majors and then they run they around. Yeah, diplomats, thank you. (laughs) 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 They run around at the United Nations. Yeah, so we're like, we're very like the diplomats, I guess. is the way that this other stereotyped us. And it's yeah, because we had we were constantly meeting people from all over the world. So obviously, when we started meeting these uh, early European explorers, we were like excited. We were genuinely like, oh, amazing. Like another culture to interact with. So you found
1: out they were here to screw over everything.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And then until we realized their entire like way of life is very disjointed and it's all about dominion over things as opposed to relating to and kinship with things. Um, so they never heard us when we tried to teach them like they we were so excited to learn from each other. And that just turned into so much um, sickness and uh, death and despair for my people. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think about it as like a post-colonial period. Like we're in a post-colonial world and that's so untrue. Like we are Uh -uh. in this exact moment experiencing colonization and genocide. It's ongoing. And a lot of people don't realize or recognize that they themselves are actively colonizing our territory, especially architects, planners, and landscape architects and developers. Like that's literally what you're doing. If like you're not working with the host nations, you are colonizing my territory 100% stop doing that and (laughs) just come and talk to us and see like how we can we can figure this out like how can we center Musqueam Skotmesh and Tsleil-Waututh authority and agency in our own territories again Uh, how can we reinstate ancestral law in our territories again and what's incredible about that is it's not as scary as it as like the politicians are making it out to seem like it's actually an incredible way to live like it's like This incredible place of learning, creativity, the ability to share with each other, like safe space for each other, Mm -hmm. the ability to hold space for each other when you're not only being held by like us as your hosts, like we're able to finally host you properly. Right. Like, I don't know how many people feel well hosted in this city. And I definitely feel like it's not a lot of people, like you're constantly being renovated and (laughs) like there's just... (laughs) (laughs) like it's not it doesn't feel like you're being hosted in a good way and I don't I think people over history have just um stopped expecting to be hosted in a good way and like we would love Mm -hmm. to be able to teach people that again of like this is what it feels like to truly be hosted in our territory and not only that but like if we can um ensure right relation to each other um then we as the indigenous stewards of this territory can ensure right relation to the land and if the land is healthy, the people are healthy. If the water is healthy, the, the people are healthy. Totally. And then that's that's literally it. That's the answer to climate change in our territory.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things about colonialism, which the colonial enterprise has done everywhere, it's it's is to discredit the ingenuity and the engineering and the intelligence behind indigenous knowledge and and practices whereas like this is how it's supposed to be done but then came and destroyed everything like because there was there's so much power there If they destroy it they weaken the community and um one thing that I, i hadn't realized until i moved to canada was the power of language because I am lucky enough to speak my native language. And um, actually, I have to tell you a story. When I was in Haida, <laughs> I made this like stupid, stupid move. Like I was talking to this lady and like, you know, we're having this really nice conversation. And I'm like, oh, how do you say this in Haida? And then and then she's, she goes like, you know, I actually don't know because I didn't grow up speaking my language. But my daughter is teaching me because there's a language revival program that's happening. And in that moment, like I felt it so deep, right? Whereas like there is this generation of people where colonialism tried to strip their identity so much that it's their child, like their kid, like her daughter was like uh, five years old or something. And it is her that is teaching her right now. And in that moment, I really, really realized how I had taken for granted being able to speak my own language. And then I started to kind of reflect on that and how intrinsic in in language uh, you understand your environment better because there are some words that translate in almost a mystical way, (laughs) right? Because it's like, oh, the English word for this is this. It's like, but it doesn't really work, right? There 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 is a sense behind that word in that language that actually carries the true meaning of that. And, um, yeah, um, there's so much that I have learned from even being in conversation with you about myself, right. About my own culture, because often I didn't even have the words or to articulate some things, or I didn't fully appreciate some things because what happened with like all colonial history is the settlers came and left. Right. And so so what happened was, one, we kind of started um, with the resistance to colonial power lessened, even though it's still rampant today. right? But I think, at least from my, my view, is with indigenous peoples in Canada, is because there is this constant, like the colonialism is so active still today that the, the resistance is so strong. Uh, and sometimes I feel like my people have kind of like relaxed about it to some extent. And so by relaxing, they've almost kind of like subconsciously taken on the colonial, I mean, this this is colonial so like, it's like our colonial, like we've been colonized through the minds as well, right? And to decolonize our mind, um, that those efforts are, have kind of like fallen back to some extent sometimes and I think that we we have so much shared values shared experiences that yeah I think I mean the 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 work we've been doing around creating black and indigenous solidarity I think is very important for the healings of of all of our peoples because we have so much to learn from each other you know and um yeah I don't know if you have any thoughts about that things yeah like I'm just trying to
0: not cry over, over that story is about um, Haida Kill, the Haida language. I think I said that right. Um, I'm also like part Haida. I'm a descendant of Chief Shakes from Haida Gwaii. And he mm-hmm. married, Blanket, who married into the Kupakiwak, who married into the Sculptomish Nation. Whole thing. <laughs> <And> i think, <laughs> like related to the entire West Coast, we just like married down and then like, yeah. <laughs>
1: nice. I heard the Haidas are quite fierce. Like they're not the diplomats. They're like <laughs> down to like... Don't cross me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we have a long history. It's funny because I'm like Haida and Kwakwaka'wakw and like Skoltmish and Musqueam. Uh, anyone who knows their history just knows like a lot's going on there. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, like what you're saying about like being so like conscious about language and, and being able to speak your native, native tongue. Um, and especially like, yeah, it's so true. Like the language we speak is the language of the land. And sometimes like, I guess I try and avoid words like mystical, but the only reason I try and avoid it is because mm. like mystical has been so so like denounced in like academia. And like, it's, it's, mm. I think it ties into what you said later too. I'll see if I can tie this in a nice little loop. But, um, for example, like my, my cousin, Desa- Denzel Baker, uh, mm. he's technically my twin, long story. Um, <laughs> a lot of those in my culture, long stories. Um, but Denzel, he's a Skoltmanschnichem language speaker, and he's one of the first in my family to start relearning uh, that side, which is my grandfather's side. And mm-hmm. um, I was just trying to ask him, like, how do I say good day? Like, how do I like, greet people? And he's like, well, like, technically it would be like halt squile. But he said that's not really like true. Like, halt squile is more like, as he was explaining to me, like the, the entirety of light as it travels from like when the first moment the sun rises to when it sets. And it's about wow. like, yeah, and I was like that is so beautiful. Like so much better. <laughs> um and English is just this uh, really difficult language to express myself in and it's just really amusing because I don't think in English, but I don't know my native language. So I have a really difficult time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but just and like the more I learn my my language, the more like my brain doesn't hurt as much all the time cuz mm-hmm. I'm trying to like translate how I feel cuz like as well like our colonization has only been ongoing for, in the grand scheme of things, a few generations. Whereas I know like quite a few other nations have been dealing with colonization for hundreds of years. So like we're just very fortunate. Like my grandmother grew up on a traditional diet. Like she was able to still speak with um, a lot of our ancestors before smallpox like wiped out her village. And um, it's just really intense like what we go through and and being mindful about language. Like I was uh, just speaking with my partner just before this interview and reading this like, academic paper talking about how like we're a highly advanced hunter gatherer society that we're like nomadic <laughs> like like none of those words fit who we actually are and like they've mm. been the words assigned to us but we never chose those words right uh, and they don't whatsoever and they, all that wording like hunter gatherer nomadic um they've been intentionally Discredited and seen as less than once you, especially like through like Darwin, Darwinism and like that Darwinian theory, which was like highly celebrated by the colonial efforts. Even though Darwin himself later realized that theory of evolution, like he he wasn't, he wasn't as into it. Like in, on his deathbed, mm-hmm. he's like, wait, that was a bad idea. But actually, like went more into like the theory of adaptation. The colonization was already like, this is great. Like, great work, Darwin. Like <laughs> we'll, we'll put like apes down here and like black and indigenous people down here. And then like whiteness and civilization up here. Like, this is mm-hmm. great work. Really happy with this. Like, we don't need to pay attention to what else you say. <laughs> like, and then it just like took off. And there's so like, I deal with Darwinism, like Darwin, Darwinian thinking that like very linear evolution every day, like trying to like discount it. Like, no, like, <laughs> mm-hmm and like trying to use this like weird like language translation of like no we're highly advanced and just trying to like fight into the wind like using these weird words and I think it ties into what you're saying about um like your your own uh native tongue and and how in I think I'm using the grammar right but like in Burundi is the right way to say it yeah so like in Burundi you're saying how um the the settlers like went colonized left but then I think what's so insidious about Western culture is the way that Western society uses class and uses status to convince oh, people that the Western way is the best way and it holds the most status. It holds the most. Uh, uh, I don't know the right wording right in this moment, but it's,
1: like it's almost like equivalent to how intelligent you, you are, how almost worthy you should be in society it's kind of crazy actually i got to tell you a story my mom my mom <laughs> she lived in a time where when white people were in burundi would have a test of civility and those tests were based on how much one was assimilating to white culture wow well, <laughs> and and only then If you'd passed Were you allowed to, to live in certain neighborhoods And to hold certain jobs wow. And so It bec- almost became equivalent To sustaining life And until today We see this every time Like I know some people who um, Tell their kids You don't, you don't need to learn uh, Kirundi Because the, What how's that going to serve you Mm -hmm. because the world functions in French and English or whatever international languages you have, or, I mean, like the reason why I'm, I'm, I ended up here is, you know, your life, you know, you better schools and better opportunities if you go abroad and, and come back, right. Because whiteness is still deemed superior, even by our own people. So it's been internalized so much that they don't even need to be there anymore. Like it was so deep that um, now it's a machine that rolls by itself. And that's the really sad part is the devaluation of self. And if if you don't value yourself, like it, everything kind of stems from there. So it's like, it's such a mess. <laughs> That's
0: so true and like I think you and I experience that a lot and like I, a lot of people um a lot of black and indigenous people get this a lot but like wow you're so articulate but like I've made a very conscious effort to understand um this English language and like the world of academia the world of architecture like but it's a, as a form of survival but then also it's like that proximity to whiteness that proximity to perform whiteness is associated mm-hmm. with higher status and is associated with higher success. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's very unusual for me to be able to wield these tools of whiteness and uh, that's another thing too is like I'm half white like uh, I think a lot of us are um using the term like I'm white passing but no like I'm genuinely half white (laughs) and like right (laughs) it's great because my my mom is an incredible um ally and is very inspirational in the way that she moves and interacts your mom is awesome (laughs) thanks (laughs) 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 but yeah but regardless my mom and I have these conversations all the time and like the amount that I've performed whiteness in my life to get into certain schools or to like get good grades on papers. And like, that's been a lot of my life for so long, but it was always that idea of like, you have to go abroad, which I did. I went to London, like the seat of colonization Mm -hmm. um, and came back and was like, okay, I'm ready to like, I've learned the colonial ways. (laughs) And I'm just so fortunate that like, um, for a lot of my life, my dad was there as my rock and just like really kept me straight all the time. Like, Like go and learn their ways, but then come back and like dismantle that. Like luckily, Mm -hmm. my dad has always been like, you've got this like an anchor in that. Whereas sometimes it's really easy when you're just by yourself in your little flat in London to like forget and dream of like, oh, I'm gonna be this amazing architect. You're like, oh, I'm Mm -hmm. gonna like have this really cool job. And then it's like, no, this isn't like I can't do that. Like that's just not me. That would literally poison my soul. Like I would be a lost soul. So obviously, I came back. I'm here in my own territory again and doing everything in my power with the t- the tools that I know wield and uh, that I've learned. And it's just so complex and complicated. And, um, it's just really unique. And, and sometimes like I'll how do I explain this? Sometimes I'll like deliver like an incredible speech or something mm-hmm. to a group of, uh, white people. Um, mm-hmm. and they'll just be so like amazed, but then like, I'll be trying, Wait, here's a good example. Um, I was teaching a workshop on decolonizing data Mm -hmm. and um and that was when i first started using that terminology like my family has been here for over 809 generations my family has never had to come up with an exact number before right because whiteness needs this like perfect analytic like this like it's this weird status around academia it's this weird status around proof it's a weird status around which nobody's being critical enough to realize that like science is not unbiased like there's science Mm -hmm. was created um like from racism and sexism like Mm -hmm. science is literally based on those things uh, (laughs) they use um, science to claim white superiority literally and it continues to do so and i'm yeah. Anyways, that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but yeah, so like I, I, literally had to like, I, every day I'm coming up with translations so that like whiteness can understand who I am enough that I can actually start like getting footholds and actually creating space for my identity, for like my language, for like these, which is what I love about Afrofuturism and indigenous futurism and therefore MSD futurism is um black spaces for black people to experience blackness and black culture. And then that's Mm -hmm. like MST Futurism is like creating um, these like celebratory spaces where I'm not constantly fighting, where I'm not constantly translating myself. And, um, or even for example, like I've been trying to translate um, like how long my people have been here for, because like every time I come across a settler, they're like, oh, well my family's lived here for six generations. And like, as if that's some kind of ownership over this territory. And that's where I had to come up with that translation. Like, well, my family's been here for 809 and then they actually get it. Like they're like, mm. Oh, cause like they see that as like a status and a good reason why um, they should be here. And like, that's completely like all good. And then mm. when I like, use their same status indicator and actually show them. And the thing is though, like, obviously it's not untrue. Like I, I went, I researched it. Like I mm-hmm. uh, went back, I, I talked to my elders, I went through archives, oral history, so on and so forth. And came up with this number, but at the same time, we've been here for longer than that. Like, that's just where my oral history records go back to. Mm-hmm. But in of itself, is like, wow. <laughs> but then um, but then everyone's like, well, how many years is that? That's like the next settler question. Like, how many years is that? And it's like, well, why
1: can I not why just... Why are you trying to prove <laughs> yourself in your own home? <laughs> yeah, like, you don't go to, like,
0: someone's house, and you're like, you know, like, it's just so... <laughs> But yeah, so then I'm constantly coming up with these translations just to like, and like the weird thing is, it's like people are like, oh, you're so harsh or you're so you're so this. I'm like, no, this is out of kindness in my own heart to even like try and translate for you. Because like that's where at least where I see like majority of the breakdown came from was um, Captain George Vancouver came into our territory met with my ancestor chief Chiapolano and they had a really good relationship. Like it was, and they had a good trading agreement together. And it was so good that Chiapolano actually took George Vancouver's name and named himself George Chiapolano. And that was like Mm -hmm. a very common thing back in the days, you would take someone's name to show like how honored, like how high of an honor that trading agreement was. Wow. And it was just like this level of respect. And then Uh, Vancouver did his absolute best to like uphold that level of respect but then Vancouver got ostracized and died under mysterious circumstances when he returned to London I think like four or five years later and then after him was obviously that colonial wave but Mm -hmm. that first interaction of my territory like there was this like genuine desire from Vancouver to like learn and like have those conversations with us but everyone after him there was no desire there So like that first interaction, we didn't have to translate who we are. We actually had this opportunity to like learn and like Mm -hmm. listen to listen, not listen to respond. But then as soon as that second wave came over, that was it. Like we got so overwhelmed by smallpox and um, disease and everything that happened. And we were just trying to pick up the pieces. And then we had residential Mm -hmm. schools and it was just, and that's it, like I'm one of the first people Since uh, the colonization of my territory and my family and my branch of my family, to actually like pick myself up and like be able to walk without stumbling mm-hmm. um, or not having something, but still, like, there's so much I deal with regardless. But there's a lot of like community support and resources. And it's just like, how do we contend with like all these forces that are doing their absolute best to destroy our identities
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, in the name of what? Like, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. live in the world that white supremacy has created um, Totally. so like for me it's it's survival it's like I, I have to create this world that I want to live in that I'm happy in and that hopefully mm-hmm. my friends, my family and uh, our guests are happy in and actually feel true like a, a genuine core happiness not just okay like <laughs> you know right. that addictive happiness that western society creates that like addiction to serotonin that addiction to success mm-hmm. and that happiness is conditional. Whereas the happiness that my ancestors created in this territory was, um, it's hard to describe in English obviously, but it's this, yeah. like if I was to describe it, it would be like, it literally looks like the way that dew comes up in a mist and the way that shine, the sunshine shines through it and creates this gold warmth. Like that's the the happiness that my ancestors created here. And I want everyone to experience that. But in order for everyone to experience that, I need people to start dismantling some stuff. Cause <laughs> right. like it's, it's the system was literally created to ensure that what I'm hoping for doesn't happen. Right. Um, it's not just like, it's the system. And like, well, it's whatever it's over there. It's like, no, no, no. Like we really need to dismantle this cause it's not good for anyone and it's good for a few people, but it's creating addiction to whatever that is.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: like, none of the, like everyone's just sick in the system. Um, so it's a lot of like active participation in dismantling white supremacy, active participation in supporting capacity building for like indigenizing and ensuring that Muscle and Scotland tooth in the Vancouver context uh, regain our agency here.
1: Totally. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. happiness, <laughs> happiness is work. <laughs> happiness is 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 work. Happiness is is political. It is not an individual's Quest or journey, it's like very community oriented. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Design Unmuted podcast brought to you by Divine. If you liked what you heard, please rate and tell your friends about it. You can subscribe so you never miss an episode. Find me on Instagram at Ramesha Design Unmuted and also on my website at rameshadesign.com. The track you're hearing is called Under the Sun by Kafaye, singer-songwriter, and produced by Ozenit, or Zenith, by Kiga and Sanja.